Today, I get to welcome a couple people into membership. We all do. When you as an individual go, I want to be a part of something bigger, usually that bigger is the church. I can accomplish things all by myself, but when I gather with other believers, I can actually accomplish way more. And when we decide that we're going to be a member of a certain church, it's us going, man, I support you. Like, and I want you to support me in that. And there's the great times and there's the rough times, and that comes with being a member of a church. And so today, we get to welcome a couple people. So I'm going to get Joyce Clark to stand. Joyce is going to stand. Awesome. And... Joyce is already contributing, you see her many times leading worship. And so we're excited that Joyce has went, I want to be with you. And the other one is Dan LeClaire. Dan, can you stand up? Dan's already contributing. So Dan is leading, Dan is leading our, our men's Bible study. And so not, they didn't wait to become like full-fledged members to start contributing. And we thank you for that. You, we are a better church because of the two of you. We will have some fancy certificates for you next week. We wanted to get you in under the wire. Uh, but we also want to make sure that after the service, you go and if you haven't introduced yourself to these two people, Dan and Joyce, I'd encourage you to do that. Sound good? All right, guys. All right, remember, we're in this series. This is what we do. What I was going to have you say to somebody is, I should have slept in because Matt's talking about money again. Uh, so I, I want to ask you a quick question, okay? So here's the quick question. And I, I want you to be honest in this question. How many of us love stuff? Okay, if you love stuff, put up your hand. Okay, some of you love stuff. Some of you, half of your relationship, your spouse is looking at you going, yes, you love stuff. You love, all that stuff in our basement is your stuff. See, we all like buying stuff. And I'll be honest, I get excited when I see something on sale that I thought I never needed, but I need it because it's on sale. For some of us, and this will define our age, late at night, there were these things called info commercials. Oh, you remember them. Potoscope. Duralube. The Slap Chop. Or, or maybe you remember this one, Ron Popeil with his oven going, set it and... Forget it. Like, thank God back then that you had to actually phone in. It wasn't as easy as doing it online now. But now we have, like, Amazon one-day shipping. It's easy to buy stuff. And there's times that I put something in my cart and I just think about it. I go, do I really need this? And then I accidentally click the purchase button and I've bought it. And then I say, it must have been God's will that I bought this thing for me. (laughs) There's 66 books in the Bible. We know that. 
Genesis through Revelation, God talks about the topic of money and possessions over 2,000 times. Is God obsessed with this? Let, Let me put it this way. For those of you who are parents, think back to your very first kid. They were born, they were perfect, and every other kid paled in comparison to your kid. Then something happened at 18 months, and you discovered they were a sinner. It goes like this. They grabbed a toy. There was another kid there. They grabbed that kid's toy. A word came out of their mouth that said, mine. Guess what? At age 50, guess what I keep saying today? Mine. The first glimpse for almost every human being of sin is the sin of selfishness. And God speaks to it over 2,000 times. If you want the exact number, it's actually 2,302 times. I believe that our God knows that the number one thing competing for yours and my heart is money and stuff. See, here at Daybreak... We want to be influential. We want to be generous. And I don't think we could be talking about a more important topic today. Do you remember last week we opened up with the idea that we called it the scarcity cycle? If you weren't with us, I I want to revisit it just for you. It'll make sense. Here's how scarcity works. God supplies... We begin to consume what God supplies. Then after a while, we start lacking because all we've been focused on is consuming. And after we're in the stage of lacking, that brings us into this place of fear and anxiety. And so what do we do with that feeling of fear? We medicate that fear by having more consumption. And the cycle goes on and on and on. Today, I want to take this topic just a little bit deeper. If you're taking notes or you're scribbling down things in your phone, there's going to be a statement that comes up on the screen. And it's a pretty simple statement that scarcity, the scarcity cycle, always starts in our mind, not in our wallet. So we might look at our wallet and go, that's where scarcity is actually taking place. Scarcity always starts in our mind, not in our wallet. In Proverbs 23, verse 6 and 7, listen to these words that Solomon penned. Powerful words. Don't eat the food of a begrudging host. Do not crave that host's delicacies. For that host is a person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. See, every choice that you make, every lifestyle choice you make, your behavior patterns, always point back to this thought of, what do I think about the world? We're talking about this Last week, this week, and next week, this is what we do. 
But unfortunately, a lot of times we say this is what we do, but it doesn't come out in action. I want to challenge you today to ask yourself, and really more than that, I want you to ask God this question. God, am I thinking in the right way? We're going to look at one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to to Mark chapter 6. Anytime we read God's Word, we want to see ourselves in the story. We want to throw ourselves in the middle of this story. So Mark chapter 6, verse 34. We're going to look at this story that's a familiar story. Jesus fed the the 5,000. Now, I need to give you a little bit of context. Because Jesus didn't actually feed 5,000. He actually fed more like 15,000 or 20,000. In the time of Christ, Jews, whenever they counted crowds, would only count the adult men. The reality is, can you see it? Jesus is about to preach and feed the equivalent of an NHL stadium. That's the audience. That's the context. And so we're going to read this text starting in verse 34. When Jesus landed... He saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. Do you see yourself in the story? This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Do you see yourself? They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and actually spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? Verse 38, Jesus, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, we've got five and a couple fish. Some of you hate fish, so just ignore the two fish, okay? Just stay with the bread. I I want you to notice something. The disciples were focused on the word that we're going to see over and over and over this morning so that they can buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answers to them, you give. See, the disciples are like me. They are preoccupied with what they're going to have to spend. Jesus didn't say a word about what they're going to have to buy. He simply, he simply said, you give. Friends at daybreak, this is what we do. You give them something to eat. Maybe the disciples said to him, here you go again, talking about money. That's going to take more than a half year's wage. Are we to go and actually spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus asked a very simple question that he's asking us this morning. What do you have? 
How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And so they did. They went out and found what they had. They found a little boy that happened to have five loaves of bread. And Jesus didn't ask for this, but their bonus was a couple of fish to go along with the bread. Isn't that what Jesus is asking us throughout the pages of Scripture? What do you have? You see, little is much in God's kingdom. So this story is happening. They're in the middle of it. And here's what we're going to see this morning. There's two groups of people who are viewing this exact story with two radically different mindsets. The disciples, you and me, viewed this whole process through a mindset of what? Scarcity. There's not enough. It's going to run out. We're a small church. The building's falling apart. We don't have enough people. It's laughable how much we have in light of how much we need. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're living there right now where you're starting to get ahead. Maybe you're starting to get ahead financially and then something expensive breaks. It always does. That unexpected bill comes in the mail. And you utter these words, it's ridiculous what I have in light of how much I need. Now, don't hear me. I'm not trying to dismiss those crises that we find ourselves in because we all find ourselves in one of those seasons. But here's the thing. If you let that get into your head, that circumstance, that isolated circumstance, it becomes the mindset for the rest of your life. Friends, there'll never be enough. See, Jesus viewed this through a completely different lens. He viewed it through the lens of abundance. That is simply the belief that there's always more than enough. If you fast forward to the end of this story, the end of the miracle, Scripture says that everybody ate, they were all satisfied, and then the disciples went out and cleaned up the ten, I mean the fifteen to 20,000 people, and they came back with 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. I want you to stay with me for a minute. Five loaves of bread, and yes, those two fish. The, the disciples viewed it and said, it's not enough. But Jesus looks at it and says, no, that's way more than enough. You might say, that's laughably small. Jesus says, really, it's plenty. See, scarcity, and this will come on the screen, scarcity always asks this question, what can I afford? An abundance thinker, the way Jesus thinks, always says, what do I have? Because what I have is infinitely more than where that came from. Friends, we're not a small church. This is who we are. This church is what we do. We're going to be abundance thinkers. I need you to hear me on something. Many of us have this mindset that when my bank account is bigger, when my salary is higher, that's when I'm going to be open-handed. Friends, you're lying to yourself. 
So let's go back. Let's start today with this. What do I have? God, everything I have is yours. Use it in whatever way you want. Here's the thing. The disciples and all those people around Jesus. When we get closer to Jesus, we realize he completely redefines what can be done with a little. In fact, I want to do a little experiment. In my coat back there, I have some bills. I have $10, okay? It's what I think costs today for five loaves of bread. Not the fancy bread. You know that, that bread that's kind of in the corner, the $1.49, $1.69 bread? We'll say that we can grab the, the fish from the bow for free, okay? So we can all go down and grab the fish for free, but we need to buy the bread, okay? When you think of the $10, if I held up two fives or one ten, is that a little or a lot? Most of us would go, it's a little. Man, it's small. I mean, what can we even buy for $10? You can't buy a drink at Starbucks. Oh, I guess you could, one. You can't buy a meal anymore at McDonald's. Man, if I went to the movie theater, I couldn't even get through the front door with my $10. What if that $10 wasn't so insignificant? What if it was more than relatively small? So here's the experiment. It only works if all of us participate. In the next 15 minutes, I'd like to ask you, as I finish up my sermon, I'd like you to consider giving $10 over what you normally give for the next few years. Because here's what I think is going to happen. I believe God is going to redefine for us what can happen with something that seems so ridiculously small. See, if I live with a mindset of fear, of scarcity, there will never be enough. I'm going to run out. My life will be marked by fear and anxiety. That's not God's purpose for you. You remember Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come for a different purpose. I have come that you may have life, and there's that word we've been talking about, and have it more abundantly. See, everything about the nature of God is more than enough. It's extravagant. It's abundant. It's his nature. Therefore, the life of his children adopted into his family have to be people of abundance. So why do so few of us experience it? How do we even begin to live this life of of abundance? I I, want to talk about two things for the rest of our time about how we can experience God's abundance. Here's the very first one. God always multiplies what is blessed. God always multiplies what's best. Go back to Mark chapter 6 if you don't believe me. We're feeding the 5,000. You see it on the screen behind me. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. They take the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke 
and uh, sorry, and broke the food. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. You got to stay with me in this. The blessing of God over anything in our lives is a powerful thing. How does that relate to our finances? Here's the thing. It's tied to last week. Returning the tithe releases God's blessing over every other part of our life. See, when I return what is not really mine, it's never been mine, to whom it belongs God. The tithe is holy. It's set apart. It belongs to God. Returning it to God, whom it belongs to, releases blessing over every part of my life. Now be careful how you define blessing. Malachi 3, verse 10. We talked about this last week. And it talked about this storehouse. Bring the the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. The tithe is is not simply 10% of our income. The tithe is the first 10% of our income. Why? Because God needs to be first. God needs to be first in our life. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. God says, test me. Remember, I dare you. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I will pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room for you to store it. I want to talk about one phrase in this entire text of Malachi chapter 3. The floodgates of heaven. It's interesting imagery. That phrase actually in Hebrew was used three times in the Old Testament. There was one time in Malachi, another time in 2 Kings, but the first time that that word was used, they would think back to this, the floodgates of heaven, Genesis, the flood, the reason that Noah had to build an ark to save humanity. That was the first time that phrase in Hebrew was used, the floodgates of heaven. What do you and I know about the flood? This is the way God has chosen to illustrate his blessing when you put him first. What do we know about the flood? There was a ridiculous amount of water. And scripture says that there was no part of the earth that was left untouched. So God, in Malachi, wanted to illustrate it this way. How will I bless you? What is, God, what is God actually saying? He's saying there is more than you can imagine. It's a huge lake behind a dam waiting to pour into your life. It's not God being stingy saying, hey, as soon as you pay up, I might just throw you a little bit. What God is saying to us this morning is when I find a heart that puts me first, that is a heart that I can entrust the abundance of heaven to. Because if my heart was all about me and God blessed me with the abundance of heaven, what would I use it on? Me. And it would be self-destructive and God would never let me do that to myself. But when I see a heart 
that has put me for faith and action through my tithe, now that's a heart I can bless. That's a heart I can release the abundance of heaven to. The other thing, and this is something I couldn't get out of my mind, a word that I couldn't get out of my mind, was the word heaven. It doesn't say this, test me in this and see if I don't open the floodgates of Wall Street (laughs) or the floodgates of my local bank, TD Bank, the floodgates of the Lotto 649 or whatever thing you're thinking about to get rich quick. It doesn't say that. It says the floodgates of heaven. Well, what does Scripture tell us about heaven? We will experience the undiluted presence of Jesus. We'll have undescribable joy. We'll have abundant provision. This is the real stuff of value. I want to illustrate it just this way, okay? Many years ago, I was at a different church. I'm out in the lobby of the church that I was pastoring at, and there's a couple there that came and saw me, and they're like, we've got an amazing story for you, Matt. Last month, we started tithing for real, and they said, we've been giving for years, but last month, we actually tithed for real. I'm confused. So you just started tithing for real, but you've been giving for years. What were you doing before a month ago? And they said it was like this. We are really just tipping God. My life is going good right now, so here, God, good job. Here's $100. God, I, I got really good goosebumps in the service this morning. Here's $50. And then this couple had a moment. They said, either we believe this or we don't. Either we trust him or we don't. And they took the step and they started tithing. The man looked at me and said, here's what I didn't see coming. Our marriage was all right before, but I'm telling you, there is now an intimacy. It's weird, like the moment we took the step, there's a closeness that we've never felt before. We've been coming to church for years. We love it. We love seeing what God's doing. But now when we come, Matt, the band starts playing in worship and the tears just start flowing. And then he said this, Matt, it feels like God is one inch away from me. Friends, that's the abundance of heaven. How many of you want that? Because I'm telling you, your soul was made for this. Some of you will say, well, I just want God to multiply it. I want multiplication. And God's saying this, you know what? I'm waiting for you to give. I'm waiting for you to trust. It starts with a step of faith. If this is an area in your life that you feel like you're at a brick wall and you've not taken this step, I'm asking you this morning, trust him. I believe it's the tithe that releases God's blessing over every part of your life. There's no part of the world that's untouched. God multiplies what's blessed. Here's the second one. You're all really quiet. (laughs) God multiplies what is given away. For some of you, you've listened to none of the last 25 minutes. You need to listen to this. This will be your moment. 
We already know that there was 12 baskets left over. But how did that happen? In Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, it says this, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Picture this, friends. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks, he broke the loaves, then he gave to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the people. He gave them to the disciples to do what? The disciples gave it to the people. In order to feed fifteen to 20,000 people, there would roughly need to be the equivalent of three semi-trailers full of bread. And this story was told in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and not a single writer of the Gospels said anything about a miraculous amount of bread showing up at the moment Jesus said amen. Jesus gave it to the disciples for them to distribute to the people. Don't miss this, friends. When did the miracle happen? The miracle had to happen when the disciples walked among the people and gave a piece of bread to somebody else and there was still bread in the basket. Here's the big thing for me this morning. Jesus could have easily made this all about himself. He could have had baskets of bread and fish fall from the, from the sky for the disciples. We'd all looked at it and went, that's a pretty cool miracle. <laughs> the miracle have had to happen the moment it left the disciples' hands. It had to. Because there's no mention of anything else. There is a distribution, and then the story ends with leftovers for everyone. That's it. That's the story. That's the miracle that, that we see. It happened the moment it left the disciples' hands. See, everything about Jesus is completely counterintuitive to the world we live in. Jesus said this, hey, if you want to find your life, you have to do what? You have to lose it. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. In heaven, it does. Because you find your life when you surrender to the one who gave him his life for us. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to push everyone else down and elevate yourself. No, that's not what he said. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant of all. Everything about a follower of Jesus is countercultural. Solomon in Proverbs 11 said this, it'll be on the screen, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. One person gives freely. That's the economy of God. Church, one person gives freely and gains even more. Another withholds unduly. There's not enough. I'm afraid we're going to run out. And that person that's holding on unduly comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. That's how heaven works. Friends, this is an adventure. It's not all for you. We're not reservoirs of things. We're conduits of God's resources. I want to leave you with these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. 
Don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things. Your heavenly Father already knows you need them, but seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. May we start to live in abundance. We love you. Amen.